Good evening, everybody. Everybody have a good day. All right. Two nights. I can't believe we only have two nights left. Um, again, it's been a blessing to be with you. Um, I was sharing at lunch today with Jared. I said there's, there's a few places that I've been invited back numerous times, and I, have, and I have even different congregations that invite me into places, and those places feel much like home to me. This is one of them. Um, getting to know uh, just what the Lord is doing in your lives, uh, seeing you on a much more regular basis uh, is, is a huge blessing. Uh, the, the pastor side of me enjoys that. Um, I, I miss the, the youth group that's under my tutelage that I know in, in every week inside and out, and I do miss that at times. But it's really fun to come to a camp, teach kids, and send them home. <laughs> also. So, it is, good, it is good to be with you. I wanted to start tonight, some of you have asked about my family, uh, my wife, uh, she had thought about coming with me this week, uh, my wife of 31 years, and uh, um, we just celebrated it just about a month ago, and uh, um, I, I love it when she, I, I travel better with her than I do without her, um, but, but I, I understand there's times when she just needs to be home and, 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 and prepping for the next trip. She's a homebody. Uh, those of you that know my wife, she, she's quiet, she's... Uh, um, very much an introvert, a little different than me, well, a little different, and uh, so, so sometimes she just, she likes to stay home, spends time praying for me or watching me online, and then later when we talk, honey, why did you say it like that? Anyways, so <clears throat> those of you that are in ministry, you know, your better half helps you, okay? Um, so that is my wife, Teresa. Someday I hope to, uh, those of you to be able to meet her. This is my oldest daughter, Brooke, and her uh, taller husband. <laughs> Poor thing. She got, she got her mama's height to some degree, and uh, her husband's 6'3", and, uh, and uh, that's Colin and Brooke. And uh, they'll be married two years this summer, and they live close by, so we get to see them. They come over to our house every every Saturday evening, and, and they go to church, and we, we eat Sunday meal together, and so it's a blessing to have them close. Um, and so some of you may have remembered Brooke from way back, um, but anyways, that, that is, that's my oldest. And uh, this is my youngest. This is my 26-year-old, Megan. Uh, she keeps uh, mom happy at home. Uh, she stays with us at home. Uh, she has talked about moving out, and I kind of asked her why. I don't know what your mother would do when I go on the road without you being here. So stay. She's not a freeloader. She puts up more than her her fair share around the house, and she's a huge blessing. And uh, and we have a dog in the house. Her her other half at this moment. Um, that is Sadie, an English shepherd. If any of you have ever had an English shepherd, they're known as the American farm dog. They are brilliant. And they know it. <laughs> and if you do not keep her occupied, she will show up with something right in front of you. Like, look what I got. 
Can you get it? <laughs> anyway, so, favorite game. Um, anyways, that's Sadie, my grand dog, or whatever. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. I can just be like, Megan, come get your dog. Come get your... I can't wait to be a grandparent. All right. <laughs> so that is my family. That is my family, and, and I love them dearly, and always look forward to, to coming home to them. But, but know the Lord has them until I, until I return. Tonight, we are continuing, continuing our bridge to a biblical worldview. The fundamentals that are established at the beginning of the Word of God. They're fundamentals that are foundational for the rest of the book. If we miss things in the first chapters of Genesis, we most likely will get other things wrong in the Word of God. We most likely will see things when we view and and we study things or we see things in the world around us, we will get them wrong. We must understand what the Word of God says. So tonight's, tonight's topic, as we're working our way through this bridge, is dispersion. Now maybe for many of you, you might have been similar to I way I was when I first started thinking about the Tower of Babel, and I just kind of started thinking, I'm like, okay, so it was the Tower of Babel. Yeah. <laughs> what does that have anything to do with me today? Like, that was, that was like 4,200 years ago. Like, what does that have anything to do with me today? Just take a moment. Look at your neighbor. Let them know you are glad that you do not look like them. All right, maybe that's too harsh. Maybe that's, that's harsh. Um, here, here's the thing. <laughs> There's something we're battling today. <laughs> we're battling this identity thing, one, who we are. But we're also battling this thing that's called racism. It's what it's termed now. Hasn't always been called that. It, it comes from an idea of seeing each one of us as different races. Going through life in a survival of the fittest, dare I say, evolutionary worldview driven life. So in that evolutionary worldview driven life, there are races, and, and, and one race has got to be better than the other race. One has got to survive. The idea of racism is not biblical. And if we miss the part of history we're studying tonight, we will mess up this racism thing. We will not understand what is going on. So tonight, this dispersion thing, who you are, what you look like, what your heritage is, what your ethnicity is. See, ethnicity is a biblical understanding, not race. Not race. So tonight we study a little bit of Genesis to study there. So let's go. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go to chapter 10 this evening. 
as you're turning to chapter 10, I want to read out of the beginning of 9. So keep your finger in 10. Hopefully, maybe it's on the same page like it is in mine. The beginning of 9 says this, after, after the flood, right before the covenant of the rainbow is given to Noah, it says this, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Ah, what was the command given to his three sons and their wives? Fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth. Same command is given to all of the animals as well. Look what it says next. Something we didn't have time to cover last night. That A little, little rabbit trail here for just one moment. Verse 2 says, The fear and dread of you will fall upon all of the beasts of the earth, all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you green plants. When was that that we've already studied this weekend? Day 6, all the way back at creation. He gave us plants to eat, all beasts of the field, all birds of the air, Everything that had the breath of life. Remember that? Chapter 1, verse 30, right? Right here, after the flood, what is he giving to us? Giving to us everything. Meat. Doesn't mean we can't, we can't eat plants any longer. Doesn't mean we shouldn't eat plants any longer. It's just saying, there's other things I'll let you eat now. But, but it's not going to be easy for you because... There's now fear and dread of you in the animal kingdom. They're going to see you differently now. Guess what that tells me about before the flood? Our relationship with the animal kingdom. Totally different. As I often say, those of you that are hunters, that get up and go sit in your tree stand, freezing your heinies off, waiting for that moment for the buck to show up. Right? He, he, he doesn't just come waltzing in like any old time he wants. Generally, these days, I've heard about them, there's these little machines that feed things certain times of the year so that they might show up at a certain spot. <laughs> See, it, it, they're fearful of us. They don't want anything to do with us. It's not an easy thing. To shed that blood to feed and provide for our family. So, so right here, I, I very literally see in, in, in verse 3, everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you green plants. I now give you everything. Uh, he said bacon cheeseburgers. That's what it is in the Hebrew there. It's bacon. And I had one today for lunch, and it was really good. <laughs> Toad Holler Burger is a, right. is a winner. <clears throat> but see, this is in history. He's told us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So when we step over to, to chapter 10, we begin seeing the filling taking place. <laughs> we see his sons begin having sons. And this is a genealogical record of those sons and their descendants after him. So we, we come down through these Sons, and we're in history. We're, as I showed the other night, this slide 
shows us one lineage of his, of one son. Shem. Why is his lineage important for us to gather and keep track of? Because it leads to Jesus. Shem. So you see where Shem was in the scheme of things and his sons. Notice, notice uh, how long we live, everybody that is born after the flood. Notice what happens. Our lifespans almost get cut in half immediately. But then they almost get cut in half again after another one of these sons' lifespans. See, see what happens is, is something happens that affects our genetic code. Affects our genetics. We went from potentially billions of people at the flood to how many reproducing pair? Three. We have no record that Noah and his wife, at 601 years old, decided to have more kids. We have no biblical record of it. I'm not saying they might not, but we have no record of it. Anybody 85 feeling like you need to have a kid again? I'm just asking, just wondering. (laughs) Maybe that's how old that was at at 600 and something. It's like what we feel like at 80 something, okay? So, so... So, we come, according to the word of God, from three reproducing pairs. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Everyone in here are cousins from them. Noah is your grandfather. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what shape you are. I don't care what size you are. The Word of God is very clear about that. There were not stowaways on the ark. If you were not with that man of God, you were not saved. You were not saved. So chapter 10 gives us this history. It's another one of those chapters that maybe you read before you go to bed so you'll go to sleep quicker. (laughs) But then we, we come on down here to... Chapter 11. Chapter 11. This is the last of the chapters of Genesis that most today, most liberal scholars would argue is just allegory and just story. It's not actual history. It's not like something that actually happened. This is the last of them. All of a sudden... There's this arbitrary line drawn in Genesis that chapter 12 on becomes history. Abraham is actually a real dude. No. It's been history from the beginning. It's been history from the beginning. So we, we come to this moment in history. It's interesting. Let, let's read. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. See, in the Hebrew, behind those, those two ideas there, a, a language and a common speech, a language is physically a spoken language. That's what the Hebrew means there. But a common speech is they were in agreement with each other. 
Like, not only did they have a common speech, they had a common world view, dare I say. They spoke and believed the same things. What was that? Ooh, let's see. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Within that very, that very verse right there shows us our understanding and technology of taking sediment, baking it, heating it, and it becoming extremely hard. Not just carving stone. That's a, technolo- that's a technological understanding of something. How many of us have heard that we, we started as cavemen? Who's heard that idea? We started as cavemen, and then eventually we figured out how to do fire. And, and then Ugg decided to grab his wife by the hair one day and drag her back to the cave to be his wife. And his language was what? Uh. No, like spoken language. No, no alphabet. No. And from there, we progressed through, through history to the brilliant people that we are today. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. No, I like my spelling... Ability is, I'm thankful for a wife that was a fabulous student. She's really good in grammar, and she's really good in all that that really cool stuff, because when I'm supposed to write something because I'm a president of a ministry, it never goes to you before it's been through her. (laughs) Because I know better. (laughs) See, we're we're not getting better. But here, they're showing technology. They're, they're able to take tar and, and cement things together, if you will. They, they, they also, they cons- listen to what they said here in verse 4. They, they, then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Who is it about for them? Them. Please don't think the humanistic, the idea that humans are everything and everything should revolve around us, is like new. (laughs) In essence, it's pretty much what Satan wants us thinking all the time anyways. Because if he can get us thinking we're the top, that we're the best, that we set the rules, we've got it all figured out, then what good is the Lord? What good is His Word or His authority? Remember those two things? That are impactful for our worldview to understand His Word and His authority? They neither wanted either one of them. They didn't want them. They didn't care about them. They had it all figured out for themselves. Guys, this is, this is just a few generations after the flood. Like just a few generations. I know some of you that are older are looking at how much this country has changed in 50 to 60 years. 
And it is. It's mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling. It does not take long. Does not take long for something to go away. When the truth is not shared. When the truth is not shared, it does not take long for it to go away. So these people, they're all about themselves. Let's, let's think about them for a second. Okay? So on the chart here, you'll see, you'll see these little blue lines, right? If you go back to chapter 10 and, and up to the point of the Tower of Babel, and I'll show where that is here in just one second in chapter 10, but there are only 72 named families up to the Tower of Babel. Let me show you what I mean. So when you take chapter 10 and you line it out with the three sons at the top under Noah, and then you start lining out who their named sons are, and then their, and then the ones that are given that are their sons also, you start getting a chart that looks something like this. So the, the, the red here are his three sons, and then all of these red ones are Noah's grandsons, and then blue is great-grandsons. And then great-great-grandsons are black, and then great-great-great-grandsons are green. So there are 72 named families before a fella and up to a fella by the name of Peleg. The fellow specific in chapter 10, verse 25. His name is Peleg. See, what, what's interesting to me is as you begin studying the history here and, and, you, and you do some, some math, you find out that, listen, there could have been somewhere between, in, in the hundred and some years to Peleg's generation, there could have been anywhere between 1,000 to 10,000 people present with one language and a common worldview. What were, they, what were they asked to do? What were they commanded to do? Multiply and then fill the earth. So they were multiplying, but they were not, they were not obeying the Lord. See, they were, they were being asked to fill the earth to take his name everywhere, I believe. To take his, his salvation everywhere and to continue and build whatever it was that God led them to do wherever it was, but to always acknowledge who he is. And they weren't doing it. They were, they were trying to do something for themselves. For themselves. Possibly a thousand to ten thousand. I've, I've read lots of different thoughts on this. Can you imagine that number of people? How big is Mound City? 1,100-ish. So this would be the, most likely the most conservative idea of how many people we had 100 years after the flood. Okay? So Peleg comes along. Look in verse 25 up here. Two sons were born to Eber in verse 25. One was named Peleg. Because in his time the earth was divided and his brother was named Joktan. So now I've had numerous people come to me, well, Matt, that earth being divided, that is when the continents divided and became the seven continents today. There's a problem with that idea that most people don't think about. 
What would happen if the continents began moving fast enough to fold that rock we talked about the other night? And we're standing here? What have we seen happen to Turkey? A, a, a fraction of the planet. What has happened to Turkey? With, with, with minor movement versus the earth totally dividing. This earth dividing is not physically the earth dividing. It means the people of the earth are going to be divided. That's what that means. It's not the physical earth was being divided here. It was we were going to be divided in Peleg's time. His name physically means that. It means to divide. During his life, chapter 11 happens. It's important for us to think about this in in history. We are being divided, but look how he does it. Back to the text. They're building this, this tower. They're building this thing to the heavens. To make a name for themselves. So no, everybody would see this tower, know who they are, right? But look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. How brilliant were they, church? What does the Lord identify in them? They're brilliant. Like they, they could have done anything. The idea is that we are becoming smarter is not, not observable, testable, repeatable, and falsifiable. <laughs> Every once in a while we get that lone person that has, shows a little extra brilliance, right? Most times they're just a little weird too, right? I mean, like they're just... Einstein was not like everything I've read, not like the, a normal guy. The adage is they used to widen the sidewalks on his paths because he would just be thinking about something to walk off through the mud. So they kept widening the sidewalks between him him and his office so that he wouldn't walk in the mud all the time. But here we're we're seeing that they were were brilliant people. Whatever they put their mind to, it wasn't going to be impossible for them. But look, look what it says. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Hmm. Why do we communicate? Why do we communicate? Pass on information, right? We communicate, pass on information, see what's going on in somebody else's life. You know, what's, what's your struggle today? How was work today? How, how, we communicate. Hey, here, let me, let me teach you how to do this. Let me show you how to do this. Let, let's talk about this, Right? But look what it says here. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. <laughs> have, you, have you ever ha- had that conversation with somebody that doesn't speak the same language as you? It's not easy, is it? You know, it, it helps if you're face-to-face because you can, like, mime stuff, right? You, you, immediately, everybody goes into, like, Okay, it's me at a, at a Mexican food restaurant with a, with a waiter that I'm trying to, trying to ask, how, how, how is this going to be safe for my wife? She has a dairy allergy. 
And they, they look at me and they're not sure what I'm saying to them. I can tell that. And then I start, I start going to milk. Milk, butter, you know, udders. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do because I don't know what to say. My, my language is not right to fix this. To help with this. To make sure my wife doesn't get sick because I really want to eat here. I really want fajitas. Fajitas. Butter, oil. Like, that's what I need to know. Butter, oil. <laughs> but I don't know the language. I think we've all been there. We've, we've had those moments somehow. Maybe it's on a, on a tech support line. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's on a mission trip. Language is really important. Being able to communicate is really, really important. But here it says they were going to come down and they were going to confuse, he was going to confuse our language. Look at verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So he did what he asked them to do in obedience and faith that they weren't doing in their sin. So how did he do it? He confused their language. Did he sort them out by color? It's not what it says. Did he sort them out by height? It's not what it says. Did he sort them out by, by hair color or hair at all? No. It says he, he supernaturally created languages. That's what that says. He gave them languages and then he separated them by what? Language. Language. He put something as a stumbling block so that they would have to trust him again. They immediately had a stumbling block that they had to figure out. And the only one they knew they could rely on is, it's got to be him. But how long do you think that lasted? How long does it last in our, in our life? When, when the Lord becomes very clear to us who he is, and we, we devote ourselves to him, but then there's, in some, there's that moment where it's like, nah, Nah, not the same anymore. It, it, nah, that was good for me at some point in time. The Lord says, don't give up on me. I am life. So what's the word of God say he did? He took us by languages and he spread us where? It says over the whole earth. That's a whole earth thing again. That's not like just around the neighborhood. He moved us. He moved us. So that's what the text says. That's what our text this evening says. They, they, they were building some magnificent tower of which we have zero idea what it looked like. Everybody understand that. We have painting upon painting in history. Wonderful paintings of what that looked like. But those are not snapshots. Those are, those are just, just thoughts, okay? Just thoughts. Again, when is this happening? I, see, I want you to frame this outside of just a story in the Bible. I need you to frame this in real history. So we have the flood, right? Roughly, that's the date of the flood, the ending of the flood. All right? 
there's roughly the Tower of Babel, and we can keep going across here. After the Tower of Babel, a civilization pops up by a language. By this point, there's a pyramid being built. Dare I say a tower? Hello? Abraham is called here in time. Joseph becomes governor of Egypt here in time. See, what I find is, is we, we, we've learned all these different the points in history through our lives, through history class, through, through Sunday school class, but we never see them together. There are, we always compartmentalize. There's like biblical history, and then there's the rest of world history. Chinese are over here, they got their cool history, and then the Egyptians got their history, and, and really, I don't know how they all work together, but they're all, you know, they're... We should always start with the biblical history. Is it right, church? I, I hope you can say yes. It, 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 it should trump all other history. And when we see the Egyptian history, we see the Chinese history that says we've been here over 10,000 years. The first question we should be asking is, let me see that date written on something, please. Because you know what can't be produced? Those dates. Most times, it's a carbon dating of a papyrus. Hello, carbon dating. Reliable, trustworthy, absolute? Uh, I don't think so. My colleague, Ryan Cox, has, he, he's a history guy, loves history. Not just American history. He, he's really good with American history, but he has spent a lot, a lot of time studying Egyptian history. He has a, a, I mean, an exceptional presentation about seeing Egyptian history through the lens of the Word of God's history, and they match up quite well, regardless of what present Egyptologists think and their worldview. There's no, there's no history on the earth that really differs with the biblical history when you get down to it. This history's right. We get separated by language. Civilizations begin. Civilizations begin. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? In all of these ancient cultures right here, every one of them, every continent represented... Well, the exception of Antarctica. Not a whole lot of people down there. But where civilizations are, every one of these civilizations have a, a legend about a tower and about language division in their history. What? Sometimes it matches up like, boop, to chapter 11. Sometimes it's a little skewed, like a little off. But most of the details are all there. Most of these also have the same legend or myth or something of a flood happening in history. Some of them even have details like eight people on a boat made it through the flood. Please don't think your, your Bible is like alone in giving historical record to things. Please. They can be, there's things echoed in other civilizations that is not biblical in origin to them. 
Are you with me? Because we've all lived it. We, we were separated at the Tower of Babel. We took, we took our history with us. Even in a new language, we took our history with us. But if we, if we did not devote ourselves to the Lord and continue that, we would do whatever felt right to us. Exactly what the Tower of Babel's judgment was all about. It, it happened over and over and over again. This is Cahokia Mound. It's on the east side of St. Louis. When, when my colleague Ryan, my, my good friend Ryan, asked me, Hey, Matt, I want us to take our kids from Genesis Week at Camp, a church camp over in Illinois that we do every year. Matt, as we talk about the Tower of Babel this year, I want to take them to the Cahokia Mound. And I said, Cahokia what? Like I didn't even, I had no clue. Not grown up around around Illinois, Missouri, and I, I, I'm like, I know St. Louis and an arch, Cardinals. They got Cardinals, and outside of that, I know nothing about St. Louis. He said, "Yeah, they have this Cahokia Mound." I'm like, "Okay, talk to me." He said, "There was a civilization there that had settled around St. Louis that had a population of over forty thousand people, right around a thousand A.D. on this continent." It said we did not have that population. When, when, that, when that civilization kind of died out right there, we didn't have that many population on this continent until Philadelphia in like 1776. They were a huge, a huge group of people. Well, they built this mound. This mound right here. Who's seen this? Anybody been there? It, it's just weird. Because it's flat as a pancake all around there, and then there's this big mound of dirt and grass. And it's obviously, it's shaped. It's got shape to it. I mean, it's unmistakable. Somebody's worked on this, right? <laughs> like, that's not natural, <laughs> right? And you find out that the base of this mound is actually bigger than the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt. But it lines up perfectly with celestial objects. There was an understanding in these people and how they govern time by things in the heavens that the Lord made on day four. Just like he says he did on day four of creation. But see, this mound wasn't made to worship him. It was made to worship their own God or gods and to sacrifice their children on it. I was given the opportunity with those, those young people of that camp to march ourselves to the top of this mound and proclaim Christ. A mound that was used to proclaim pagan gods. And if you will, Satan. I don't know where your worldview sets, but Satan. And I proclaimed Christ on the top of it. And taught the Tower of Babel from the top of the Cahokia Mound. Who God was then and who, how he hasn't changed now. He still wants our devotion. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. But see, it's not just here in America. We find civilizations that used mounds. They're in Mexico. They're in, they're in India. This tower thing. I mean, it is, it is in, in most every civilization has a common thread in it when you actually start studying them. You think it's coincidental that everybody figured that out or has that idea? It's biblical. We took it with us when we, when we were separated by language. And if we chose not to follow the Lord after he separated us, this is the best we could come up with. 
But tonight we're talking about dispersion. Where I, I want us to see each other. See, I want us to understand that the people groups we have on the planet today are from the Tower of Babel. The reason we look different today is because of the Tower of Babel. The battles we're battling today is because we have not understood what he did for us at the Tower of Babel. That he wants us to fill the earth and proclaim his name. And we still don't do it. And we still don't do it. We don't come together in his image bearers that we are and do it. All we see is difference. Please take a look at a couple quotes here. Scientist at the Advancement of Science Convention in Atlanta stated, that was in 1997, race is a social construct derived mainly from perceptions conditioned by events of recorded history, and it has no basic biological reality Curiously enough, the idea comes very close to being an American manufacturer. What are they saying? They're saying this. The so-called racial characteristics, the big differences, the skin color, eye shape, etc., account for only 0.012% of the human biological variation. When looking at our genes... The things that we have marked as differences between us is 0.012 of a percent of our genetic code. You think we might be blowing some stuff out of out of whack? Every biology textbook has a similar allele chart in it. From an egg and a sperm, the two at the top, with equal numbers of alleles for melanin shading in your skin, coloration, if you have equal number of three white and three dark alleles, equal numbers of alleles, from those two at the top, you can get every shade on the planet of melanin. Any combination that we have on the planet. From how many? Notice how many are at the top of, the, of this little chart that's in every biology check textbook. Wait. Oh, so from two, we could have everybody that we have on the planet. What? <laughs> you don't say. I kind of know who those two were. I don't know about anybody else. Okay. So... <clears throat> But see, we've all, we've all grown up with this idea of who we are. That we've evolved from some common ancestor. A common ancestor sometimes that's suggested by the name of Lucy. See, there's fossils, there's fossils out there that are suggested to be our ancestors when we were not as big and bright as we are now. Lucy gets brought up. She's still in our biology textbooks. Guess how many actual anthropologists actually put her directly on our family tree that we've come from her. Guess how many academics actually do that? Zero today. Does she show up in our museum still? Oh, yes. 
Does she show up in our biology textbooks in high school? Yes. Lucy, when she was found, do we have the whole skeleton? No, we have a portion of a skeleton. If you begin reading the original papers on Lucy by Donald Johansson and others that that discovered it and, and have continued to study it, they will say things like, everything about Lucy looked very chimp-like from the size of the cranium, so the, so the skull cap, the, the size of her brain, to, to the, the length of her arm versus her legs was very primate or chimp-like. Everything about her, her pelvis is very chimp-like, what part of her pelvis we have, very chimp-like. And, 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 and when you read papers, you'll see over and over again, Australopithecus afarensis almost certainly did not walk like us. She did not walk upright. The upper academia knows and understands this. Still in our biology textbook that this is one of our closest relatives. Do I need to show it? Hominids are classified into several groups. Two important groups are the genus Homo and the older genus Australopithecus. Australopithecus was a long-lived and suggestive genus. Australopithecus afarensis, who lived three to four million years ago. What does that not jive with, church? Three to four million years ago in where? Africa. Is one of the better-known species of early hominids. Although its brain was much smaller than that of a modern human, about the size of a modern-day what? Chimpanzee. Australopithecus afarensis had very human-like limbs. I have never read a paper that says they were human-like limbs. Where that statement in this scientific textbook, that is not scientifically driven, church. That is pure worldview. Listening to me? So we sit here wondering, where, where have we come from? <laughs> right? And we look to science to try to help us. And we look to, to history to try to help Paleoanthropology to try to help us. The problem is there's worldview driving these things, church. See, all of the skeleton was very chimp-like except that one little bone right there in the middle of the image, the kneecap. It is explained over and over again, the kneecap very much looks human. If you don't study, you don't find out that it was found down the hill 150 feet away from everything else. The only thing that looks human was found over there. Not with the rest of that. That is most likely a chimp. The hips. They flared out. They didn't curve in. Yours and mine, they curve in a little so that we can walk upright. The flared out ones, they, when you see a chimp walk, they, well, they walk like they've been riding a horse. They kind of they swing their legs, when and if they get up on their hind legs, with their feet on the ends of their legs. Lord designed them with opposable toes. They're designed to do what they're designed to do, be a chimp. And they do it way better than you and I would do it, because that's what they were designed to do. Their, Their pelvis flares out. This is Lucy's pelvis. See how flat ish it looks? Here, 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 look. Here's, here's, here's ours. Do you see the difference? See what ours looks like? It's like, whoop, it's like a bowl. 
Okay? You see the difference. See, sometimes, though, worldview comes into play. It doesn't matter what the evidence is. I I showed you. When the data says we came from a woman about 6,000 years ago genetically, the worldview comes in and says, but nobody thinks that's the case. It doesn't matter what the pelvis looks like. We have got to have come from a common ancestor with a primate. That's what we're told. Babel cannot be right that we were separated and split off by language and then genetics takes over. That can't be right. So they, so they produced videos in 1994 like this on PBS. Please listen and watch. The ape that stood up, it was a revolutionary idea. We needed Owen Lovejoy's expertise again, because the evidence wasn't quite adding up. The knee looked human, but the shape of her hip didn't. Superficially, her hip resembled a chimpanzee's, which meant that Lucy couldn't possibly have walked like a modern human. But Lovejoy noticed something odd about the way the bones had been fossilized. When I put the two parts of the pelvis together that we had, This part of the pelvis has pressed so hard and so completely into this one that it caused it to be broken into a series of individual pieces which were then fused together in later fossilization. After Lucy died, some of her bones lying in the mud must have been crushed or broken, perhaps by animals browsing at the lakeshore. Uh, this has caused the two bones, in fact, to fit together so well that they're in an anatomically impossible position. The perfect fit was an illusion that made Lucy's hip bone seem to flare out like a chimp's. But all was not lost. Lovejoy decided he could restore the pelvis to its natural shape. He didn't want to tamper with the original, so he made a copy in plaster. He cut the damaged pieces out and put them back together the way they were before Lucy died. It was a tricky job, but after taking the kink out of the pelvis, it all fit together perfectly, like a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle. As a result, the angle of the hip looks nothing like a chimp's, but a lot like ours. Through the magic of science, Lucy's hip looks just like ours. Not a science issue. How we see ourselves, where we've come from, this is not a science issue. We can do science from time to time on certain things, but there's other things that it can't tell us. Our purpose, why we're here, we cannot figure that out in a test tube. A test tube, a slide in a a microscope is not going to tell us why you're here. It won't. We have to look to our maker for that answer. He's the only one that has it. Who we are. But no, we, we continue to look and think that, that certain worldviews are going to give us answers for that. 
Even if we went to language, even the studies of language and genetics, we've already covered some genetics, right? But even language, there was a fellow just a few years ago, a linguistic um, anthropologist, I believe was his title, his term. He, he really believed he was going to prove evolution through the study of languages. Because if evolution is true, all of our present day languages should be traced back to that original language that came from that common ancestor that came up out of the jungle in Africa. So he was gonna, he was gonna take his, his life's work and, and study and get all known 2,000 some known languages back to that one. They should all be related, be able to be related back to one. Good hypothesis. Very good hypothesis. Especially if, if your worldview is an evolutionary worldview, that is, that is perfect. Like that, that should be easily, easily figured out. Problem is, is he, he had to write a paper. And he said this in 2012, you could take a gorilla or a chimpanzee from its troop and plop it down anywhere these species are found and it would know how to communicate. You could repeat this with donkeys, crickets, or goldfish and get the same outcome. Church, when I was reading this, and, and, and some of the, I know I've shared this before here, I physically almost fell out of my chair. I'm reading this article. It came through, I was researching, studying languages and those kinds of things, and, and I came across this article. Like, this article came up. And I'm reading this, and I literally about fell out of my chair in praise of the Lord. At the same time, I'm going, Lord, how did I miss this? Do you understand what he's acknowledging as an evolutionist that's biblical? Every created kind speaks the same language. Without saying it, that's what he's saying. That's what he's acknowledging. But then there's us. This highlights an intriguing paradox at the heart of human communication. If language evolved to allow us to exchange information, how come most people cannot understand what most other people are saying? <laughs> like, like if, if language is supposed to be helping us in this evolutionary survival of the fittest, how come we can't understand each other? Because we all generally look the same. We're the same. Why can't we speak the same language? Oh, look at his conclusion. <laughs> Old Testament story of the Tower of Babel, the myth. Ooh, it tells you his worldview. Hello? The myth leads to the amusing irony that our separate languages exist to prevent us from communicating. The surprise is that this might not be far from the truth. So he, in his studies... The frustration that you hear in his voice as he's writing comes that he, he begins narrowing these languages down. He says, we cannot get them more narrow than 16. There are 16 families. He says, that's what we call them in languages. They're called family groups. And they're families. Families of phenomi, I believe, is what the term is. So sounds within a language becomes a phenomi group. There are 16. He says, we can get them to 16. We think maybe in coming years we can get it a little narrow, more narrow than that, but, but really it's not looking good. 
16. If you, if you count the named, the named grandsons of Noah in chapter 10, got a wild guess how many there are? You know what? The word, the word of God does not say how he split us and by how many languages he supernaturally made at the Tower of Babel. It doesn't say that. Has no, we have no idea how many languages he made. But isn't it interesting? Again, we have, we have evolutions after evolutionists discovering things that, that show the word of God but can't be accepted. <laughs> like, that's a myth. Like, Tower of Babel. Nobody believes that actually happened, right? Like we were we were split by our languages, right? Why not? Everything points to it. Everything points to it. A study a few years ago by taking languages and then also looking at genetic profiles of people groups. Is there a connection between certain languages and certain genetic profiles? Should be obvious if the Tower of Babel was split by languages, there should be certain genetics that are dominant by that language group. Hello? There is, there is a relationship between human dispersal and linguistic variation, this study said. And, and, however, the, the, the geographic distribution of phenomi inventory sizes, that's languages, does not follow the predictions of a serial founder, somebody coming out of Africa, that common line of descent coming out of Africa, it doesn't follow that. As we study languages and then we study genetics connected to those languages, they don't fit coming out of Africa. Wow. Because you know what? When you start looking at even that 23andMe thing, that genetic stuff that we're, we're doing these days, It is very clear that we have come from three lines, N, M, and L. L gets divided into three different ones, but it all comes from L. How many is that? Three. How many genetic lines did we come from, from the, in, in chapter 10 from Noah? Specifically four, because we have Noah, his wife, and his three sons. That would be one, Right? But they each had a different wife. By the way, when we do these, we're looking at our mitochondrial DNA. That's stuff traced through women. This chart says, this is, this is not a biblical chart. This did not come from a biblical reference. <laughs> it says we've all come from how many women? <laughs> Three. What? No. <laughs> like this says. Notice it comes, always comes out of what, what continent? Africa. But it all travels through what other region up there? Everybody but the L travels through what region of the world? The Middle East. Where was the Tower of Babel? In the Middle East. Do you know what DNA does not say that it all came from Africa? It just says, hey, we find L's predominantly in Africa. The others spread and go across and can be traced across the rest of the world. So that L one there, these lines going this way only, this one could very well should and can be drawn going down just as much as it is going up. That is pure worldview. You do not have genetics in your DNA that says made in Africa. Unless you have a lineage of L. 
And you do. What does that look like biblically? What kind of scholarship has been done on that? Here's what it looks like. Most likely, most likely, as we were being dispersed from the Tower of Babel, Japheth and his descendants went there and there. What happens when you go to the right up there? Where does that end up at? North America. And then South America. Direct connections between Asian cultures and native Indian cultures here on North America. Along with Central America and South America. (laughs) What? No. At the bottom of some of the lineages of the royal families in Ireland, where they would keep track of their royal bloodline, because that's really, really important to them, at the bottom is Japheth. They've been keeping track of it that long. Japheth. That's not like some other dude named Japheth. That's the biblical Japheth. And everybody understands that. Shem, Shem settled and stayed Middle Eastern as well as spread and, and has descendants this direction. Ham then went this way, most likely. Him and his wife. It's a biblical understanding of genetics. Because of the portion of history we're studying right here tonight. Like, this is important to you and me. There's this other thing called an ice age that gets thrown in there in the mix too, all during this this history that I'm not going to take time to talk about tonight. But needless to say this, listen closely. The ingredients for an ice age that we've learned in environmental geography, I learned in environmental geography at K-State when I was in college. I sat in class, didn't know boo of what I know now. Like, I was clueless, okay? Hello, who who was with me in college? Clueless, right? We're just like, okay. You know, I wasn't total, huh? Okay, uh, because when he was telling me about four different ice ages, I physically wrote on my notes in big, bold letters at the top, flood. So I did. I'm sitting in class, and I'm like, hmm, hmm. Like he's describing things, and I'm like, hmm. What if that was just a flood? I didn't know anything, really. I didn't. Because we have evidence of an ice age. You know. This mound, city, is on an ice age evidence. The lowest soil, these mounds, these bluffs, are an ice age remnant following the flood. There's evidence, there's good observable evidence that we had ice sheets 2,000 feet thick right here. At some point in history, we're told in class they were from epic ice ages over different millions of years. Wait, do the rocks tell us exactly how old they are? No, it's pure worldview. What if there was just one ice age that ebbed and flowed with, see guys, listen to me, listen, the short answer to the ice age, it was never all covered in ice. Like the ice age does not mean the whole planet covered in ice. That was a misconception I had. Whenever I heard ice age, I'm picturing Oh, the whole planet's like a big ice ball. Nope, not the case. The part, the part around the middle? part around the middle shows no evidence of ever having an ice shelf. But you see this big white stuff right here? That would be most likely where the ice shelf was at peak ice age. And down here too. How much land didn't have ice on it? How much land does not show any evidence of an ice age? 
quite a bit. But you see that very light little, you see that light little line right here? You know what? If that amount of ice is present, that's where the water recedes to. Are you following me? During a peak of an ice age, the water level goes way off of where it is right now next to our continents. That means this little thing right up here connects quite easily to what? North America. Notice what gets connected right here when you lower it like 50 to 60 feet. That's all the deeper some of it is between those islands. You lower it that low. We have migration by what? By, by skin color? By, by, by genetic? No, by language. As the Ice Age wanes, after year 500-ish or 600 after the flood, and on into the end of 700 years post-flood, 800 years post-flood, the ice sheets begin melting back to closer to probably present day, most likely, Waters increase, and Australia all of a sudden is what? Uh, an island continent. I've just more basically explained something to you that, that you spent how many hours in school learning that can't be right. <laughs> all because of the Bible's history is right. And we can observe things to show that. We have a better ingredients for an ice age than those that want to put the ice age in an evolutionary worldview. In case you're curious, I don't have time to talk about it. Tonight I want to close by going to Acts. Please go with me to Acts. Talking all this history tonight, this tower stuff, and <laughs> it's really about who we are tonight. That's what I really want you to take home with you is to know you're made in his image and, and the, the reasons we look different can be explained because of the Tower of Babel. Because we can't understand each other. <laughs> Next time you can't communicate with somebody, just remember the Tower of Babel. Can you imagine getting up that day and you're going to go get your bread from the baker and you can't get your bread? Because he's looking at you like you are making fun of him because you're trying to speak something that he has no idea what you're speaking. The blacksmith, you go to get whatever you need that day for work and, and you can't communicate any longer. And then the Lord moves you. Genetics takes over by language. And whatever shades and, and, and things in your melanin take over, sometimes it's environmental pressures. If you're living in a hot, arid climate and you have lighter skin, you are going to die and not pass your genes on near as quick as somebody that has darker skin. They're, they're going to live a longer life. You're going to burn up like a crispy curder. But the opposite is happening where it's cooler. Those that have darker skin that, that, re, that reflect and protect them from the sun's rays, when you need the sun's rays for vitamins and things in in longevity, if you have darker skin living in a northern latitude, you're not making it as long as those that are lighter skin that can soak up those, those much shorter rays. Genetics. It's genetics. That's all it is, because we're all the same. Under this, we are all the same. We're all the same. 
Dark skin is not a curse. I don't care what you've heard in your life. Like, it kills me to think that in churches, for a long time, we taught somehow that dark skin is a curse of Ham. Go back and check the text for a curse for Ham. Go back and check a text for it. There's not one. Wasn't dark skin. But every time an evolutionist finds somebody's head in Africa and they mold it, they put what color skin on it? That it's supposed to be our closest ancient ancestor to a primate. What color skin do they put on it? Dark skin. Do you understand what that says immediately about dark skin? Dark skin is closer to our ape ancestry than not dark skin. Really hacks me off. Quite hacks me off. Like they're perpetuating. Evolution is perpetuating this thing. And nobody sees it. I'm done. I'm tired. Acts chapter 17. Verse 22 and following. Woo! Check this out. Paul. Mars Hill. Woo! Up on Athens. Here we go. Here's where he is. Paul then stood up. In the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are a very religious, are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar to, to this inscription, to an unknown God. <laughs> now what you worship As something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. What you have discovered in scientific papers as somebody that lived 6,000 years ago, I can proclaim to you. To, To the people groups that are tied to languages, I can proclaim to you how they got there. To the things that you have no clue about, that the Lord has done, I can proclaim it to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by hands. Where is he standing? In a man-made temple. So he's standing. He's standing in a man-made temple. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the the times set for them. And the exact places where they should live. Starting when, church? That can be traced right back to what? Chapter 11 in Genesis. Put them where he wanted them to live. He separated us by language. Every nation. He goes on. 
God did this so that men would seek Him. Him. And perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by, by humans' design and skill. Think of what was there in Athens. He's like, listen, you got, we've come up with all these magnificent gods, magnificent sculptures, magnificent temples. But listen, this one's not like that. Not like that at all. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. <laughs> Can you imagine standing there? Him saying, he overlooked this ignorance. <laughs> but ha- now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the, by the man he has appeared He has appointed, he has given proof of this to all men by what? Raising him from the dead. Notice, he starts with creation. Hey, let me tell you about this unknown God. He's the king of everything. He made it all. And then he just ties it all together as what? Oh, by the way, he's, he's Jesus that rose from the dead. See, there's only one difference in the Word of God. Only one. It's believer and unbeliever. Saved and not. It's the only difference between us. The only difference. only difference the Lord sees. He doesn't see skin color. He doesn't see hair color. He doesn't see eye shape. He He doesn't see any of that. He doesn't see smart or dumb. Thank you, Lord. Do I get an amen? amen? Anybody? He, he sees us as, as repentant or not. As covered by his blood or not. As washed, washed in baptism or not. Have we identified with him or not? Have we, are we his or not? It's what he sees. It's what he sees. How seriously are you with him? Do you, do you trust everything he's laid out for you in history so that you can know who, who you are without question? <laughs> See, he's given it all right here for us to study, but we, we don't bother to study it. We just bother to trust somebody else to try to help us. <laughs> and we're still getting it wrong. <laughs> Lord, help us. Help us not to look for those things made by human hands first. Those ideas made by human minds first. Lord, help us to trust your word and your word only first. Pray with me, Lord, tonight in this place. It is is again a a great privilege and a humbling thing to, to share your word. 
Lord, to open it and, and, and share it. And, and Lord, tonight, I, as we've sh- shared this portion of history that most times we just study as a story again, but, but Lord, there's things all around us we can study and see in civilizations and in science and in, in anthropology that show us, listen, there's markers everywhere that say it actually happened in history. Lord, some of us can look in every one of our little cells that we have and see that it's happened in history. Lord, I I pray tonight that we can trust you in it. Because if it's right, then that means you're right. Lord, tonight we need your authority in our life, not our own. Lord, tonight we need your word in our life, not our own. Our own will mess it up every time. Lord, please help us to know who you are as our our image bearer that you made us to be. Lord, help us to see each other that way as well. Get past the differences between how we may look towards each other and see us as lost or saved as you do. Please, Lord, help us see each other as lost or saved in need of your hope or in knowing that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.